G'day and welcome to Occupied. My name's Brock Cook and this episode we are going to delve into women's health. I had a chat with Melissa Lapointe, an occupational therapist from Canada, about her moving her private practice into a field of OT that really isn't very well known but probably should be. We're here with a good friend of mine, Melissa Lapointe, uh, who's a, an occupational therapist in Canada and who's doing some very interesting things with the profession and, and her private practice that we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit later. But firstly, Melissa. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, I want to know first up, what is the absolute best professional OT advice you've ever been given? Joy as an outcome measure. Joy as an outcome measure. Do tell. Um, so that would be from one of my mentors during my pediatric practice. Um, and so Kim Barthel and a lot of, you know, I, I find a lot of, especially in peds when we're working with challenging uh, clients and I do, a, you know, my background in peds working with a lot of children that are hard to connect with and mm -hmm. experiencing a lot of early life trauma, um, a lot of mental health challenges in the family and really s learning so much in terms of these amazing professional growth opportunities and workshops. Um, but then when it came time to implement really struggling and how frustrating it can be and you go in with different goals and different ideas. And at the end of the day, these kiddos are tough to connect with. And one of my mentors um, in, you know, bringing it back to the focus on relationship and attachment and her words of wisdom were that joy is an outcome measure. So if you're able to really get down and, and facilitate that state of flow with a child where they are engaged and they are happy and they are laughing, um, you are reaching your goals in, in many ways and that we need to remind ourselves that joy is an outcome measure and what a difference that can make in our therapy session. If we take it down a notch, simplify and go in with different levels of expectation. Uh, so yeah, that was a, a big one that I actually carry. I had on a sticky note on my desk for many years. <laughs> I used to do that too. I used to, uh, every time I had some good advice or found a, a good saying or anything, quote out of a journal, I'd, I still do it actually, uh, post it on a or make a little poster out of it. And my, it's, Quite often, anyone that's ever worked with me, I would have these little A4 colored posters all over the walls. Don't really like plain walls, so it's one thing I haven't done in this new job. Maybe I'll have to start doing that, but I've been posting them online for everyone to have a look at, me to share share the joy as an outcome measure. I have an addiction to sticky notes, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Excellent. So that's obviously looking more at clients' joy as opposed to yours, or I suppose they're probably closely intertwined in the work that you do? Yeah, I would say both. Um, you know, so much of the work that we do, why, why are we doing it? And a lot of the reasons why I do what I do is because it brings more joy to my life and it's what I'm passionate about. And yes, there's a lot of challenging moments and a lot of obstacles and it's not always easy, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a lot of joy that it brings to my life, and I think that's one of the, the biggest things. Awesome, awesome. So we first connected, oh, what's it now, two, three years ago, something like that, a couple of years ago. I think it was three. 
three. It's been a while. Yeah. And it was the thing that sort of really struck me when we first met or when I first found you or you found me online, I think, uh, was around the actual area that you were working in because it wasn't an area that I'd ever thought of or considered in that you were doing a lot of work with specifically women's health. Mm-hmm. What sort of stuff were you you're doing with regards to OT in, in women's health? Um, well, I so I had practiced seven years in predominantly early intervention with doing some consulting and project management on the work on the side and then took some time off when I was pregnant and I had my little guy. And then when I came back, I started with a sabbatical of sorts where the focus was on personal growth and development and then started my private practice with a focus on prenatal postnatal health. Uh, So I was integrating prenatal postnatal health into school age occupational therapy. So when I connected with you, um, you had written a blog post on neurobiology and Michael Ema- Dr. Michael Iwama's work. Uh, so I believe it was on the Kawa model, or perhaps you were just referencing him and not even the Kawa model yet. Um, so that's what piqued my interest because I was using the Kawa model and my neurobiological approach to early intervention and early brain development as a rationale for why we need to think outside the box and target prenatal, postnatal women in terms of maternal health and well-being and how occupational therapy is a perfect fit for that. Um, So that was the, you know, I I wasn't far on my journey when I discovered your blog post and I think I started bugging you right away. (laughs) And have been ever since. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, That's right. I do remember. I think it might have, I think it was the one on the Kawa that I wrote which I've now lost because that website died, which I'm a bit sad about because I quite like that piece. But it was after I did the workshop with Michael when he came out to Australia. I think it was probably the last time he came out, five, six years ago now. Uh, And I wrote a reflective piece on the Kawa and how it came about and how how it can be applied different ways, just a general Kawa type um, article. Because you, you, did you, you, you knew him. You knew Michael from uni, didn't you? So I completed my uh, my Dalhousie, or excuse me, my occupational therapy training at Dalhousie University. So Dr. Iwama was one of our professors during my three years. And I see just recently he's just posted that he's on the move again. He's about to move to Boston. Yes. So we haven't gotten him back to Canada yet, but he's getting closer at least. And here's me trying to pull in the other direction all the way to Australia, but I'm not having much luck because he's now getting further away. But that's okay. <laughs> so you, you were used, have, did you ever use the Kawa in the women? So you were using it, you were using it in the women's health field or was that in like a pediatric, more pediatric field? I used it a few times in terms of peds. Uh, so I had been, I was working with some teenagers and I had used it a few times in my clinical practice. Um, I was also using it as a way to explain the journey of women's health and occupational therapy. Um, so I referenced the Kawa model a number of times in terms of the work I was doing with other occupational therapists and helping them understand the fit between women's health and occupational therapy and the natural fit. Um, and that we, you know, 
yes, it's thinking outside the box in terms of service delivery, but in terms of the therapeutic approach, in terms of frames of reference, um, this isn't new. You, you know, this isn't um, OTs have been working in women's health for generations. This isn't a, a new thing. It's just we weren't necessarily using the term mm -hmm. women's health. And I think women's shifting in a way that, um, again, when we, we talk about women's health, depending on the profession, but different people have different ideas of, of the definition and what that means. Uh, so that's where OT is relatively new to the, you know, claiming our spot at the table is still somewhat new and really helping other professions understand the role that we can that we have. Uh, yeah, so I'd use the Kawa model as, as one, one of many uh, in terms of, hey, we've actually already been doing this work um, because it really irks me that we have so much training, but essentially we have a lot of OTs out in the world that on some level, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, feel that Yes, all of this training, all of our resources, all of our research, everything makes sense and we can apply it across the lifespan until we get to prenatal, postnatal health. And then OTs don't work in that area. And that's what I was told many times when I first got started. And it drove me crazy um, because that's just a load of BS. And I started calling people on it. Why do you think there was that divide? What was the actual barrier, do you think, for OTs either not wanting to or not believing that we could work in that field? Um, I think part of it was that there just hasn't been a lot of OTs doing that type of work. So so often people are looking for a reference point. And, well, if OTs historically haven't been working in that area, therefore we shouldn't be working in that area, um, which is – some closed-minded thinking and I think that's what used to drive me well still can drive me crazy a little bit but I've I've not quite as high up on my soapbox where I go on my rants feel as free I, used I love to be. a good rant um <laughs> well I, I have lots of them uh but I, I think that's part of it is just people weren't used to seeing OTs in that in that role in that position therefore there was some resistance to us being an active player in that field and it's taken you know it takes different people to you'll still hear it you still hear it all the time but um i think how does brené brown say that you can't be a don't don't put your time and energy into being a jackass whisperer i i'm mixing it up but essentially put, put your efforts where they're they're gonna have the most impact maybe yeah and well and i mean if i'm going to put my efforts into raising awareness and educating and and empowering it's going to be with people who are open to hearing the information as opposed to people who are finding all the different reasons to say no. And um, I, I just don't have, I don't have time and energy to waste on people that already have a closed mind going into the conversation. Um, I have bigger battles to, to fight and, you know, I'm pretty quick to say, okay, someone else can, <laughs> can practice their jackass whispering skills on you. I'm going to move Do on. Do you think once, obviously you, a lot of your efforts were around, supporting and even i guess training some ot's to work in that area did you find that a lot of like the ot skills that once they were explained to them how it might fit within that sort of women's health area that it was just they just got it or was it a bit more of a challenge than that um I would say twofold. So on one hand there would be like I've spoken to a number of new grads. I've spoken to um, so in my workshops, 
there are definitely those aha moments. Uh, like when I went through the list of here are the different frames of references, here are the different ther- therapeutic approaches, here's how we were a good fit. You see a lot of light bulb moments um, like, ah, of course, this makes so much sense. But then on the flip side, in my experience, there are a lot of OTs that through their personal journey have already come to realize what a good fit it is because they had to be their own OT. And for that group of OTs, it, they knew they, you know, they are showing up. They are so passionate that, yes, this is such a good fit for OT. Uh, but then there's the challenge of learning the business side of it, because often there's um, with thinking outside the box in terms of service delivery. There is a, a business component, whether you want to be doing it on the side, part time, growing as a consultant or growing a brick and mortar practice. Uh, and then there's also the challenge of taking such a personal experience and how you can then use it in your marketing, which is very challenging for a lot of therapists, but also use it as a way to build your practice uh, where you have the skill set outside of your own personal experience, because that's a slippery slope when we're when we only have our personal experience to refer to um, and how we're giving that, that objective information as a therapist. Uh, so, you know, building up their confidence that they know not just the area of their personal experience, but how they can apply those skills to other areas. And I think once we start talking about pelvic floor dysfunction, there's a lot of discomfort around even talking about that. Um, and how we can support more OTs in just applying that skill set. So for example, in one of my groups, uh, I had a number of OTs that were worried about, well, we don't practice in pelvic floor. You know, this person's showing up, they have pelvic floor dysfunction. This is outside of my scope. And I, of course, was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I created a case study and I took that information. I replaced pelvic floor dysfunction with back pain and I recreated the entire situation. And I said, this person's coming to you with back pain. What can an OT do? And everyone had suggestions, you know, energy conservation, pain management, um, coping, going into the social emotional side, the transitions. Like there was, there was so much great information. And I let them go with it for a couple of days. And then I came back and said, okay, so with pelvic floor dysfunction, you were very uncomfortable and you thought mm-hmm. this was outside of your scope of practice. But as soon as I replaced this with back pain, everyone had very generic ideas. Um, can you see that this is coming from like you're not comfortable with this, but it doesn't mean you can't apply the same skill set. It doesn't mean you can't apply the same, like how we see our clients, how we work with our clients. Um, you know, if anything, I think we're even in a better position because of our sensitivity and our holistic approach. So there were a lot of aha moments just from that case study where they were like, wow, you know, it, it is a confidence thing. Um, and yeah, it's something we don't talk a lot about. Uh, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting as it's growing because we're certainly sh- seeing a shift in women's health and yeah, seeing a shift definitely. in occupation. So therapy. just because uh, I'm obviously not in that field. <laughs> you are. You work in the area. Like I just think of your, your powerlifting and, I mean, you are in that area. Um, I, I Like with the training that you're doing, I mean, come on, Brock, you have a pelvic floor Well, last too. time I checked, it's still there. <laughs> you have a frown it's all you know and that's part of it it's it's all part of the core and and i think 
uh, the fitness industry isn't that old. And we're seeing in terms of chronic pain, in terms of trauma-informed care, uh, in terms of health and well-being, in terms of physical activity, we're having the discussion and it's not quite such a taboo subject. Um, yeah, so that's one of my arguments is, hey, you know what? We all need to know this stuff uh, because we're all working in it, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And and we've had discussions in the past around some of the similar because I think that was one of the other things that you brought up. I wrote a, a couple of blog posts or a series of blog posts at one point around the similarities that I saw between my outside OT life in powerlifting and some of the theories of strength development and coaching concepts that I use with my athletes and linking that very, what I saw as very close to some of the concepts that we use in OT. Um, so we've had conversations before about specifically that in some of those concepts that you use or some of the issues that you see in women's health and some of the things that we deal with in as powerlifting coaches as well. So that's something that we've 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 discussed at length. We may even go into that a bit later on. We'll see. But so what I was actually wanting to know was so day to day you're an OT working in women's health. What sort of things do you actually look at? What do you see? What do you do? How what does that look like a day in the life of a women's health, an OT in women's health? Obviously every day is different, but what sorts of things might come up? Um where so I know I'm no longer seeing direct clients, um, but my I still work in women's health in that my clients are now occupational therapists. So I have a couple of healthcare professionals inside of occupational therapy, but the majority of them are OTs. So my answer now versus a year ago would be very different. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, a year ago my uh, I say a year, so even eighteen months ago, because it was actually a year ago that we went on vacation and were evacuated and that started a whole (laughs) series of a domino effect that we can talk about later. Um, But what I used to see women around, uh, so my focus was predominantly prenatal, postnatal health. And, um, but I would do some work with, I mean, parents, with teachers. And so I'm a rural, I'm a rural generalist. Uh, So I, do a little bit of everything and a lot of it's education, you know, so they would come to me for different reasons, but a lot of my prenatal postnatal clients would come to me. I mean, chronic pain, fatigue, there may be a, sometimes they would have a diagnosis that they didn't understand. Sometimes they wouldn't have a diagnosis. Um, someone may have mentioned that they should see a specialist. They didn't know how to access that specialist. They didn't even know where to find that specialist. So as a rural generalist, generalist, I did a lot of education and awareness. Um, My focus now, and it could be leading up to childbirth, it could be following childbirth, it may be uh, parenting a child with special needs. So again, there's a lot of physical and emotional demands. Uh, I have many clients that are have been struggling with anxiety, depression, um, with post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, So really, it's again, integrating everything. Um, you know, as a rural practitioner, anyone and everyone. Uh, so I, I, my caseload was, oh gosh, my youngest client was probably six and my oldest client was 71. Uh, so across the lifespan. Whereas now, That's broad. <laughs> yeah, so now my focus again, uh, 
I'm working with therapists. So some of them are coming to me with a peds background. Some of them are rural generalists as well. Um, some of them, you know, I have a hand therapist. I have a number of different, uh, practitioners with different experiences and they're interested in women's health. Uh, sometimes it's that they have their own story or they're very, um, some of them aren't even working right now and they're still trying to integrate their own healing journey with the direction they want to go with their professional practice. Um, some of them are working full time and looking to add on women's health services on the side and they don't know where to start. Uh, some of them are a full-time solopreneur and they're looking to break into six figures or they're looking to now take on a team or expand so that they can take on other, other healthcare professionals. Uh, so yeah, it's my life is not boring. You are probably one of the busiest people I think I've ever met and incredibly difficult to get hold of sometimes. Well, like this morning. That, yeah, <laughs> that could be that you're in very different time zone than I am as well. Um, that's that's part of it, that you... It you might know, have something to do I'm with sleeping it. And, vice versa. Um, and I don't know, I think busy is... I mean, we all have 168 hours a week and I prioritize sleep and I prioritize my, my downtime. Uh, so I think we're all busy to a certain extent. We just choose how we want to use our, our hours and... Sometimes I'm able to use my hours in an effective way where I can scale my work. And then other days, it's not like that at all. I feel like I get nothing done and I don't leave my house. So it depends. We all, we all have, um, you know, it's what outsiders see versus our reality, right? True, true. It's all, it's all perspective and we're, you know, even as OTs, we're taught that everyone's different and you got to take in contextual elements into, into account whenever we're looking at anything really. So, you know, it's, it's not a bad way. And that's, that's probably one thing that I used to do a lot of stuff with my mental health clients is, uh, they often would, beat themselves up because oh, I just couldn't do anything today. I'm like, well, that's, that's okay. Like you did something, you got out of bed. Even if you sat on the couch all day, you, that's something you did something tomorrow. We'll do that. And one other thing, you know, you might do the dishes. That's one other thing. If you do nothing else today, that's twice as much as you did yesterday. And it's about, I guess, like you said, talking about scaling, like it's about scaling that kind of thing. And sometimes you you need that downtime, and it's and for someone as busy as you, because I know that you do this, you need to schedule the downtime. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets forgotten, and when it gets forgotten is when things all of a sudden. Th- I know this from my personal exper- experience is that uh, things start to feel really overwhelming, and things start getting away from you, and things start getting forgotten, and then all of a sudden it's like oh wait a minute, I haven't really had any downtime for a while and maybe that's why my head's a bit fuzzy and maybe that's why I'm, you know, making mistakes or whatever whatever it is. But I think taking that downtime, and that's, a, I guess, another, another link that we've discussed before with regards to powerlifting and OT is share, if you have to schedule it, schedule it, but make sure that you're having adequate downtime. And the other thing is, uh, something that I've talked about with my students this semester is uh, when we were looking at the concept of occupational balance is that it's not necessarily about having even amounts of time in all these different categories. So what you need on terms of the amount of downtime might be different from what I need on the amounts of downtime. And it's about, I guess, 
getting to know yourself really well and working out what you need uh, and making sure that, you know, if you know that you need, if you only need sort of one day a month and you can function really well on that, then go for it. That's what you need, but make sure you have it. Um, whereas, and, and there might be other situations, like I know myself when semester gets really busy and it's marking, then I probably, like I can function for three weeks without any downtime, but any more than that, and I'm going to struggle. So if I, I know my workload's going to be massive for four weeks, then I know that I need to somewhere in the middle there, make sure that I go away and do something that's completely unrelated to work for a day. Otherwise, I'm just not going to make it to the end of that four weeks and then my productivity starts going down. But it's about knowing, like there might be other people that can make the full four weeks and no issues at all, but it's about knowing yourself, I guess. No, I agree. Totally. I think that's that's a big part of OT that, I mean, we're taught to reflect on uh, experiences a lot. So we're taught to uh, reflect on you know, if you go and do a CPD or you go and you know, learn something or you read a book or read a textbook, you read an article, whatever you're taught, we're taught very well to, well, maybe not very well, but we're taught to reflect on these learning experiences. But I think self-reflection is, it's, in my experience, it's probably a lot harder skill to get your head around because it involves sometimes giving yourself some very hard truths, which aren't often pleasant to think about or even you know admit to yourself sometimes well and i think i mean depending i know things are changing and especially if we're moving to a phd that's going to um or a doctorate that's going to change the age people are going through ot school but the reality is the ability to self-reflect comes between 25 and 30 i was already graduated from ot school then so they can teach, they can cognitively teach me how to self-reflect um but the reality is that it was a skill that didn't come until after ot school um so i mean having some giving your students <laughs> you know going in with realistic expectations uh we we can know what self-reflection is cognitively but in terms of taking it to that next level, um, for many of us, that doesn't come until later in adulthood when we're already, we've already transitioned beyond our uh, university education. So how we can then go back and apply that skill set to our lives. And I mean, self-reflection, it can be a slippery slope. Um, there can be some scary places for therapists that as therapists, we are often taught to not, you know, it's like, well, I'm a therapist. I'm not supposed to be like, I'm not supposed to have these, this Pandora's box of crazy crap that I need to deal with because I'm a therapist. Uh, so then you have people shying away from it as well, uh, which I find fascinating um, because I'm one to uh, dive right in. <laughs> yeah, I a hundred percent agree. It's, and it, I mean, obviously I can only relate it to personal experience, but I know, a few years ago when I was quite low and one of the things that kept going through my head is I work in mental health. Like, why didn't I see this coming or why couldn't I stop this? And it was almost like this added layer of guilt, I guess, added on top of whatever, like what I was going through anyway. Uh, and it was, it all made sense in hindsight once it clicked, but the guilt was about, well, how am I meant to help people when I, you know, I was beating myself up at the time, but how am I meant to help people when 
obviously can't even sort myself out kind of thing. Absolutely. And I think especially in women's health, there are so many OTs that that carry that. Um, you know, I need to figure this out. I need to heal myself before I can do this professionally. And often, yeah, it's, it's challenging because even to, you know, I've seen a lot of therapists that the medical system is not serving their needs and they really do need to um, just go in other avenues and, and do, you know, that process of self-discovery and figuring things out. And, and again, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky because then it's like, oh, well, if I can't figure this out myself, um, why, you know, why am I trying to be a therapist for someone else? But that therapeutic use of self and yeah, there's a lot of responsibility that we put on our shoulders around that. And I think it adds to a lot of stigma and a lot of shame and in, in reaching out for help. Like I'm a firm believer that everyone needs a therapist, um, especially therapists and therapists are often the first ones, maybe not the first ones, but we're, we're not so quick to raise our hands when, when it's time to talk about our own mental health challenges. No, I, I definitely agree. Uh, I've, I've seen that many, many times. Uh, I think, that's where things like having like if you do work in a team obviously it's different if you're a sole therapist or even private practice quite often i could imagine would be uh probably quite isolating on terms of that kind of stuff at times because you know if you spend two weeks sitting at home in your office working on whatever project you're trying to get rolled out you know to a deadline kind of thing you you may not see it might be weeks before you even see another therapist that you might be able to bounce some ideas off uh, and, and I found that with some of my jobs, you know, you'd be surrounded by people, but it was still on terms of professionally quite isolated. Um, cause it's, uh, I, I find venting some frustrations isn't the same talking to someone who's not an OT. They don't seem to grasp how we view the world, I guess. Uh, and it makes it a little bit more difficult at times in my experience. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's why, you know, one of the hats that I proudly wear is community builder and that it's, it, that's exactly, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, we need to have those outlets. We need to have that support. And I mean, that's one of the blessings of technology. We live in a digital age of opportunity where we can use technology to form those connections. Um, I mean, look at our relationship, for example, we are on opposite sides of the world, but we've used technology to develop this friendship and, think that that is very needed in because so in women's health we are often you know we're looking at solo practitioners that are taking a lot on and having to hold space for a lot of women and families going through really challenging experiences and challenging situations and what we know about vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue and stress and women's health in general and resilience is that we need connection and we need to not feel isolated um, and we need to have you know, we need to have our community and there's not enough of that um, or you know I, I think we can do better uh, I guess I shouldn't say there's not enough there's all kinds but um, I'm about I'm a I'm a girl that's all about quality not quantity <laughs> there is I, I would 100% agree uh, networking is something that I've always enjoyed and I, I do have a quite wide network um, but 
it's always the when it comes to looking after you know yourself and looking after your mental health you you want a quality of relationship a quality of connection with people over you know a thousand people kind of thing uh it'll do you much better having a higher quality relationship that you can confide in and bounce ideas off and soundboard and whatever else you might need but it, it's the quality that uh is the I guess the biggest indicator of how successful that connection is going to be for your mental health. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, and just not feel that, not feel that sense of isolation. Many of us have experienced that, where we certainly feel alone, and no one gets us. And uh, you know, as entrepreneurs as well, I think being an entrepreneur definitely. Uh, many of us take a hit in terms of our mental health because entrepreneurship can certainly push you to a different level in terms of personal and professional growth, doing a lot of things where you're really uncomfortable doing. And again, it comes back to so important to have that community in place. Definitely. So one thing I have been wondering with regards to, I guess, who tends to be more drawn to mental uh, mental health to women's health obviously i would assume it's mostly women <laughs> uh but do you think or do you feel that it's often women who have had experience of some kind of women's health issue or is it just people like women that want to just help other women or like what do you what do you think is often because i just know like uh, I've read some stuff around the fact that a lot of not it wasn't specific to OTs, but a lot of I think it was actually nursing. A lot of nurses who work in mental health are often drawn there because of experience of a family member or a friend or something who've ha- who's had a mental health experience. So they're kind of drawn to that field. I was wondering if you know of any I guess correlation that might be similar to women's health. Um- I would say it depends. Uh, I see some, I see a lot of students. Well, not see, I hear. I mean, they're reaching out. Um, but there are, it depends in that I, for some, it's the lens that they're looking through. Uh, so they may be having these aha moments in terms of, oh, these are issues I've already talked about with clients in, you know, on field work placements with my friends, with my mom, with my auntie. Um, And now I have this fresh perspective because I have my occupational therapy lens that I can bring to the table. Uh, So there, you know, I see a lot of up and coming OTs that are very passionate about changing our profession. You know, I, I recently was at the Canadian Association of OTs, their conference, the annual CAOT conference. And one of the posters, I was so excited because she had a crowd around her the whole time. And poster presentations don't often draw such a big crowd like that. Uh, but hers was on pelvic floor dysfunction and sexuality. And to see a new grad, you know, I have the pleasure of going out for supper with her afterwards. Uh, so she's University of Alberta, I believe. And uh, so Laura Messenger. And it was really exciting to see the attention and the interest. Uh, so from, you know, for a newbie that's coming up and really excited to change the profession through her work. And then we do have a lot of OTs that absolutely they have gone through, um, you know, myself included. It was a really dark, scary time in my life where I had to be my own OT. And I've talked to so many therapists that 
they are so passionate about doing this work because they really want to prevent the suffering that they went through and they know they can as an OT. Uh, so they are very inspired to bring this work out to their community and to work with more women in their community uh, because of their personal experiences. Um, so I would say it's a little bit of both. Sometimes it's a personal experience or, I mean, what, what originally set me on my path was also, wasn't just my experience, but my sister's experience and how I was supporting her through her journey. Uh, so I think for many of us, we do have a personal story that we can reflect on, whether it's our own health, whether it's someone who's very close to us, a friend, a family member. Um, but that re that's really when it hits home. When we, you know, I know in Canada, like this publicly funded healthcare system that, uh, it was really eye-opening when I actually went through it as a consumer and saw how little it met my needs and how much I struggled. And this is as you know, a university-educated white woman with a lot of supports. You know, I, I'm speaking from a very privileged position, and I struggled and uh, didn't find my needs were were met by what was being provided through our publicly funded healthcare system. Uh, yeah, so I would say it's a little bit of everything. Um, you see women coming at it, and and I mean men as well. So there are some men in our um, I know in our women's health for OT Facebook group, uh, but also with private practices that are that are focusing on women's health. So it's not, uh, but you're right, predom predominantly women, absolutely. I was going to ask about about men. Obviously, we. I often wonder how, uh, say, a male would perform in a an environment like that, mainly for the fact that we have absolutely no way of even comprehending the experience, let alone being able to have had a similar experience. But I suppose if it's depending on, yes, we may not be able to relate to it, but the skill set I would assume would be quite transferable I guess same as working in any other ward when you think about it if you haven't experienced like you work on a say a stroke rehab ward if you've never had a stroke then you can still work there well and you're speaking again to I mean how many OBGYNs and family physicians are men but are still working in obstetrics are still working in um, so you're right you know on what level can they truly understand uh, but then we also a lot of women's health therapists that are trained in working uh, in male pelvic floor as well. Uh, so doing a lot, you know, in terms of prostate cancer, like there are a number of areas that are growing where women's health therapists are not only targeting women with their um, pelvic floor training, they may be working with men as well. So I think like anything, you know, it's a skill set and people are called to do this work. Um, like there's a male doula in Canada on the East Coast and reading an interview with him, um, you know, people who had him present for their birth said like he was a, just a really good fit and he was drawn to this work for whatever reason. And there are a lot of dads out there that really appreciate the work that he does. Um, yeah, so I, I think, I mean, to be a man going into women's health, um, they're called into that work for whatever reason. And just like any other therapist, I would assume that they have the skill set and the training to be doing what needs to be done and that they're working on their own professional growth and personal development accordingly. Am I right in recalling, and this is going back in my memory banks, that one of the interventions that, or one of the occupations that you would use as part of like a women's health intervention was yoga? 
teaching yoga or something to that effect? Well, I mean, yoga is another tool that some therapists use in terms of body awareness, positioning, energy conservation. Uh, So yes, I would say there are OTs that are Depending on our training, a lot of us may not have graduated from school with a um, in terms of hands-on, in terms of facilitating movement. Uh, so I would say yoga is one avenue that many therapists are turning towards in terms of enhancing their skill set. So for that hands-on intervention, movement facilitation, looking at biomechanics, looking at posture, um, Pilates would be another one. Uh, I went the restorative exercise route, so Katie Bowman's biomechanics and restorative exercise specialty course uh, or training or two years of my life, whatever you you want. Um, Yeah, so I I think there are different ways that OTs are filling the gap in terms of their skill set and what they want to bring to the table. And I know for me, my first, like the first time I ran a mom and baby group, the focus I mean, I've done mom and baby stuff before with my peds work, but this was the first group in terms of facilitating movement for the moms. And there was a wellness component. Um, I was so far outside my comfort zone. Like you can, you know, I was like, I would do a one-on-one session in terms of trauma, mental health, anxiety, depression, like addiction, you name it. I'm comfortable going in there. And then all of a sudden I had a group of six moms that wanted to be, healthy and we're showing up and we're keen and I had no sweet clue what to do with them. Um, like in the beginning, it was more, I was so used to working with people who were quite broken, uh, that when I started offering wellness services, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around it. Um, until I started incorporating rhythm and movement on a consistent basis with my groups. And then all of my wellness clients, I would say 80% of them started disclosing, stories of trauma. Um, and I was very naive at the time, uh, thinking, well, wellness services, you know, that's going this direction. Um, but that trauma informed care just came back again and again and again in terms of my need to not only advance my own education, but also have my own supports in place because it's, um, there are some really dark places that you go to with your clients and it can be really heartbreaking and, their nightmares become your nightmares. It's a slippery slope in that work for sure. So I think the experience of feeling too far over, like feeling like you're drowning, feeling like you've bitten off more than you can chew is probably something really common for OTs, especially OTs that are moving or pushing into areas that there hasn't traditionally been an OT role or like a really established OT role in. I'm curious about how, what sort of things you did to navigate that transition. So you obviously you said you felt. Uh, <laughs> Is this not appropriate you know, place to say I drank wine? Uh, <laughs> that's fine as long as the, yeah, sure. Why not? If that's what it was, then uh, let's let have it. Um, no, there were. I mean, there were a number of times that, uh, and obviously, I wasn't drinking wine on the job. Uh, but at the end of the night, was that part of my coping strategy for a while? Um, yeah, just trying to figure out. Oh my goodness! I think at some point, you also. I mean, being an entrepreneur combined with working in women's health. Um, at some point, I also got used to that being my norm. Uh, in terms of feeling outside my comfort zone, uh, 
feeling really insecure, feeling really uncertain, uh, feeling very fearful for the future, not really knowing. Um, yeah, at one point that just became more of my norm and I got used to it, um, which is, which is part of it. And I mean, working in peds, like I had a really tough caseload in peds. I was working with, um, you know, I worked with a lot of kids who had experienced trauma, sexual abuse, uh, in foster care situations, really, really challenging stories to, to hear. And, um, feeling outside my comfort zone all the time, you know, like that was the reality of, of my job is you never knew what was going to come in through the door. Um, I had to work if a child had a brain injury or I mean, you name it, like I, I feeding difficulties, like I was the OT in our community. Um, I had, I had specialists, specialists I could reach out to, but the reality was I was the uh, practitioner in our community that specialized in peds. Uh, so I think in women's health, kind of the same thing. It's, you know, it, in the beginning, I talk a lot of OTs through different situations where they're like, oh my goodness, you know, they may show up saying, I had someone contact me, they want an initial referral. And like, this is like, I'm targeting prenatal postnatal, this woman's in her 50s. And this is all like, her concerns are so far outside my comfort zone. And I feel like I should refer on right away. And what I remind people is that, again, coming back to that therapeutic use of self, and there's so much shame and so much stigma in terms of women's health and pelvic floor dysfunction, that we can't downplay the importance of finding a practitioner that we connect with that we trust with to even share our story you have no idea how many therapists that i've held space for as i've heard them say like and i mean i speaking from experience where that's the first time a woman has disclosed a certain situation or a certain story or certain symptoms to that therapist and it is very you know you you think well oh my goodness what like i i don't know what to do i should refer on uh, but again, coming back to, can you show that client compassion? Can you show yourself compassion? Um, but just sitting with that and, and allowing them to share their stories and the healing that can happen from sharing our stories in a safe place. And for whatever reason, that woman or, you know, I say woman, but that, that person um, felt comfortable in connecting with that therapist and felt comfortable sharing some of those stories. And what a huge step forward on their healing journey that they took just through sharing that story and rewiring their brain by sharing that story in a, in, you know, with a practitioner that was able to hold space and, and have compassion for them. So I think we, we can't be too quick to disclose uh, to um, can't be too quick to, we have to acknowledge that. And that is part of the healing journey. And I think as OTs, so many of us have tools and, and a skill set for bringing that out, uh, where a lot of women may not have felt comfortable disclosing that information to other health professionals. Uh, so just sharing and, and hearing someone's story, that in and of itself can be therapeutic. Absolutely. Yeah, I think from an IT perspective and working in quite a few multidisciplinary teams, whatever it is about us or about our profession, we... This is going to sound really bad, but sometimes I think we are probably better with the therapeutic use of self than some professions, uh, especially with like in a lot of the more delicate situations like, you know, where there's trauma involved or mental health issues and that kind of thing. Uh, I've often 
I've heard many experiences of people that will request to talk to the OT instead of other professions for that reason, whether they feel comfortable or they feel like uh, you know they're not going to be judged or they feel like their issues are going to be taken seriously or whatever the, the reason might be. Uh, I, I've always felt like our communication skills for, on terms of our profession are a really, really high standard. The one thing I don't know is that if that's – well, I have, I have a rough idea, but I'm not 100% certain as if that is because of how we teach it or if it's that kind of person that is drawn to the profession, like chicken or the egg, I guess. Uh, my my initial thoughts are that it's probably that kind of person that's drawn to this profession because I think that kind of – like I can, I can teach communication skills and, you know, you can teach communication skills to a robot, but there's that little bit extra that you can't really teach that some people have and some people don't. And I'm not saying all OTs are – are exceptional at this. There's definitely some OTs that might struggle dealing with difficult conversations, especially with regards to clients that might disclose traumatic things or things that have happened or thoughts they're having or or anything like that. There's definitely clinicians that OT clinicians that'll struggle with dealing with that as well. But I think as a whole, and that's why it sort of leads me to think that it's the people that are drawn to the profession as a whole, I think we do that quite well. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think um, we are, yeah, I mean, you walk into a room of OTs versus any other health profession, um, we're different. It's, yeah, and, and again, chicken or the egg, you know, is it how we were trained? Is it who we attract to the profession? Um, and again, I've, I mean, obviously that's a generalist comment. We can't apply that to everyone. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of us that, uh, that fit that mold. So, when we first met, and I'm sure you'll agree, you were somewhat technically challenged. Uh, I was. I played it up a little bit, because uh, that's what I tend to do when I'm insecure, is play up what I'm not very good at and make a joke about it. So, I'm sure I played up my tech difficulties um, a bit more. I mean, I, I may have... Sure, I'll believe that. We'll take that. We'll run with that story. I remember some of the questions um, still. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't understand WordPress at all. Uh, I didn't understand websites at all, which is what got me in trouble with my first website. And then, uh, but even in terms of technology, uh, all the different systems, even Facebook. Um, yeah, it was, uh, they, they don't teach you that in health school. <laughs> so. No, they don't. But one thing I can proudly say now is you've just launched a new website. My third website I just launched. Third time lucky. Yes, third time's a charm. Do tell. Please tell me what is all about everything. Uh, well, so a year ago to, to this day, um, we went on vacation and I had already, so Strong Beginnings was my brick and mortar. And I, but I, I mean, I launched Strong Beginnings with the intention of doing online work as well. And it had continued to evolve. So it was in June of last year that I met with a business advisor and it was, you know, I was at the point I was hitting the ceiling with my work and I really needed to make a decision. Am I going to zig or zag? Am I going to go all in with my online work and my consulting or am I going to go all in with my brick and mortar? And 
Uh, for a number of reasons, I chose to go all in with my online work, my consulting. So that was in June of last year. And then we left on summer vacation. So I wrapped up my school age contracts. We left for a two week summer vacation. And when we were on vacation is when the wildfires hit in British Columbia and my community was evacuated. So I ended up being evacuated for a total of 63 days, um, which basically, I mean, I didn't have income coming in to cover my, I still had expenses. I still, uh, so I did what any what anyone would do. I launched a membership community. (laughs) Of course, that would have been my first thought as well. (laughs) I know. Um, I'm special. Not everyone can do what I do. And I, and I'm okay with that. Um, Yeah. So I was couch surfing with my son and we made our way back to the East coast of Canada to spend time with my family after uh, doing some couch surfing in British Columbia. And really went all in in terms of a membership community. So I had launched Visionaries on Fire, which ironically, I had chosen the domain name and the name um, Visionaries on Fire in February. So well before the fires hit, that was just some some irony there. Um, and yeah, when I came back to British Columbia in September, um, showed up in September and at that point had a number of OTs that I was coaching and mentoring and I had my membership community and I was quite busy. And then I came back to my brick and mortar and uh, had basically collaborated with another therapy practice in town to mentor with them and to switch over my clients and pull away from my clinical. So basically the bandaid, I had planned a one year transition, but the fires really uh, accelerated. So yeah, in September, that's, it was a big transition, September and October, and really working with this other therapy practice to take over my clinical work while I went further. And so essentially started the rebranding process under melissalapoint.com as opposed to Strong Beginnings. Um, a strong beginning still, there, there's such a, a deep, complex story behind strong beginnings and all of the work that I had pulled forward with me. So I carried the brand forward um, because it was around community. There was so much around community and women's health and family wellness and holistic pediatric intervention. So I, yeah, started the rebranding process under my own name, which was a huge step outside my comfort zone. Um, I'm one that really likes to promote my community members. You know, I've always played sports and I, I like to get the assists. I like to set people up to score. I don't like a lot of attention on myself. And uh, so rebranding under my own name, that was a, well, I, I don't want to say the F word, but a, a bit of a mind, I won't, I won't say it. That's a shock. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a mind shock. That doesn't sound. Yeah, we'll run with that. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's what my website uh, was all about. And I'd had a couple of negative experiences with building websites in the past and not working with the best contractors. And it was very stressful. So I took my time. I took my time. I considered building it myself and then got to the point where I you know, had other things to do with my time. I understood how to build a WordPress site by myself, but... Uh, outsourced to a designer and she we worked together so I designed my own logo this time I designed a lot of my own site this time and did a lot of the website build myself as well uh, which is really exciting and um, yeah so I launched my strong beginnings membership community so I went through Kajabi for that which 
you know, it's more of a drag and drop, but still building my own landing pages and making sure everything syncs. And um, yeah, so Strong Beginnings, www.strongbeginnings.online is my membership community. And so that's a gathering space for therapists with an interest in women's health and family wellness and holistic pediatrics. And then melissalapointe.com is my virtual office. So I am officially in the online world. I no longer have a brick and mortar. Um, I work from home in my tiny little house and my laptop and I travel a lot and it gets crazy and it gets messy and it gets ridiculous. Um, I need to do a better job of documenting it and sharing it on social media because it's pretty funny sometimes. Uh, but that's my my website is. So I launched, um, yeah, June 15th, I actually hit publish. I didn't tell anyone on June 15th. It was just a goal I wanted to meet for myself. Uh, you told me. I told you. I sent you a text that evening and told You did. <laughs> and I just said, hey. We're live. Because uh, I wanted someone, like someone had to know I hit live on the damn website uh, because it was a goal I really wanted to, to meet. And I did. Uh, so I was pretty excited about that. So the website and the membership community, I, I wouldn't recommend people do both at once, but I like to make things hard. So I went with both at once and off, off to the races. We got it launched. You like a challenge. I like a challenge. I certainly do. Said through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Advisor commented. She's like, you're like a bulldog. You just dig your teeth right into it, eh? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> pretty, that's a pretty good description. So what... So uh, we'll start with the membership community. So the Strong Beginnings Online. What kind of therapists or what therapists going through what kind of experience would you think would look into that? What what who should be looking into that membership community? What are the what do they get out of it? What is what's it all about? So I would I would say primarily OTs with an interest in women's health or PEDS. Now you may be an OT wanting to practice in women's health. You may be an OT that has your own personal healing journey in women's health and you want to go further on that regard. So not everyone is in there because they want to start a business. Uh, but I definitely include some of the business piece. When I first offered my online course in 2015 and again in 2016, a lot of the feedback that I received was like, wow, I'm so inspired. This is so exciting. I see a role for OT, but now what? you know, where do I get started? Uh, so really having dealing with overwhelm in terms of the, the business side of things, and whether it's a brick and mortar, whether you want to consult and advocate for your own position in a hospital, um, like there's different ways that I, I do feel we need to be wearing that business hat. And I'm a huge fan of why recreate the wheel. Uh, you know, that was the I think the motivation for starting this membership community is having a safe space where we can share stories, where we can support one another, uh, where we can share resources. Uh, so there is a little bit of professional growth and education. Um, so I have master classes, I have webinars, um, and it's affordable. I mean, you can get it for a, a low, relatively low subscription fee, uh, which is the other thing that I found challenging. I mean, there are a lot of great coaching programs out there that I just couldn't afford. Like the reality was I I just could not afford them. And then the ones that I could afford, uh, it set me back quite a ways in terms of affording anything else because I had to pay that off. Um, yeah, so with Strong Beginnings, you know, that was the the idea was, okay, can we pool our resources? Can we come together? Can we share? Um, so instead of like CEU approved courses that are in there, it's more, 
okay, I have, you know, you're interested in this therapeutic approach. Here's an interview with this OT that's using it and she's in the community and I'll do a virtual introduction so you can actually talk to her and hear some of her personal experiences. Uh, so whenever people join the community, I'm now getting them to fill out a questionnaire and get more info on them on where they are. Uh, because even with pediatrics, you know, you, you are working in women's health. You're often, most often working with the primary caregiver, which is often the mom, um, and how that plays out in the work that we're doing. So yeah, with new members, I, I get them to fill out a questionnaire and then we set them up with a 20 minute phone call with one of our community leaders. So myself or Shane or Sarah, and then we get a better idea of, of where they are, of what they want to be accomplishing, of, you know, what are their aspirations? What do they need to fill their cup? And then we provide them with some recommendations around that. Uh, so there is a extensive library of resources that's growing all the time. Uh, so some of the feedback from our members is, you know, they want more direction. So that's what we do in our 20 minute call. And then in the questionnaire is we actually gather more information in terms of where do they need, you know, where are the gaps missing for them and how can we help fill that? So sometimes it's through virtual connections, like, oh my goodness, you need to meet so-and-so uh, because they're doing similar things or, you know, have you thought of this course? You can start with this masterclass and we give them some directions so that they're not flailing and they have a bit of a roadmap. And then the idea behind Strong Beginnings, again, we you know, there's personal development, professional development, um, emotional support, and providing some of that, the business coaching and the guidance of that, you know, speaking from experience, it was really overwhelming. And I felt really alone for a long time. And it held me back in so many ways. I mean, it is what it is. I think as a trailblazer, that's part of the uh, part of the reality um, is you have to trip and fall. And that's how other people learn from you. And so I got really good at tripping and falling and picking myself up but feeling alone in the process. And it's like, all right, um, if I'm going to make an ass of myself, I might as well do it in front of more people so they can learn from this experience. So I launched a website and a membership community. <laughs> Why not? So it sounds like it's very much, it's not a uh, kind of like a set training type thing. It's more of a, like you call it a membership community, but it's more whatever the needs are in it are uh, driven by the community or who who's in it at the time kind of thing. Absolutely. So it's very member-driven and um, very member-driven and really it, it is about the experience. It's about the relationships. It's about the connection. Um, you know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make up for that in-person connection. But even last week, going out for supper when I was in Vancouver for the CAOT conference, and we had a group of six OTs that are passionate about women's health. And we had never... Two of us had met before once, but the rest of us, we knew each other online. We had never met in person. And the camaraderie, the connection, the support, uh, the very entertaining dinner discussions, um, you know, it <laughs> could imagine it, it's and it's something that I think we all need in some in some respect. So while it is an online community, like we have a virtual excuse me, we have a live retreat happening in British Columbia this October. Uh, Bali 2019 and my Australian road trip is still on the calendar uh, going out to the east coast of the US you know there, there are different ways that um, and even helping to facilitate that connection amongst our members I love when I hear that they're connecting face to face uh, it's so important and I think as more and more OTs are working um, in women's health we're going to see those connections happening faster and faster and you know what one of my so it's geared towards occupational therapists. I think there are more physios with uh, an interest in 
functional movement and, you know, coming into that biopsychosocial side of things that would benefit from it. We have a massage therapist that's also a movement therapist. Uh, so she's one of our community managers and she loves OT. She's one of our biggest, um, like hearing her go off on her OT rants about how great we are is awesome. So yeah, I mean, it certainly was created for OTs, but I'm not going to be excluding therapists that uh, want to take part. Do you, because it sounds like the skills that you, I guess an OT skill that you may have benefited from developing this is a lot around community management and community development. Do you find that or is it something that you, that, that kind of thing just comes natural to you or? Um, I would say a bit of both. Uh, so I think that's part of my personality, part of what I've always brought to the table, even before OT school. And as an OT, I, I think, again, just understanding the different ways that community matters. Um, but then in terms of my online work and the work that I'm doing as an entrepreneur and in my own business training, um, again, highlighting the importance of community. Um, yeah, it's a big one. Because I know one thing I've noticed about you over however long it is, has been that we've known each other is whenever you want to learn anything, whether it's you know simple things like WordPress or really complex things like you know advanced business management, you're not the person that will go up, go and sign up for say some sort of course, university course or something like that. For you, your learning opportunities seem to be be very much. I'm going to connect with the people that know and learn off them. Would you agree? Um, well, you're also speaking to my um, learning challenges, perhaps. Uh, so, I mean, for the longest time, I was dealing with debilitating chronic tailbone pain. So for me to go and sit in a course um, or sit through a weekend of something was not feasible for me, was not realistic. Uh, so I was being creative in terms of, how I sought out those learning opportunities. And now, I mean, my tailbone feels great. I feel great. But in part, um, I'm much more open with my inattentive type ADD and my fidgeting. And, my, you know, I, I'm the really annoying one in your class. Uh, so learning online does work better for me. And if I do go to a workshop or a conference, I'm usually sitting in the back and I give them a heads up that I'm going to be in and out a lot because I'm easily distracted and I fidget and uh, I learn when I, you know, my brain retains information really well if I'm moving a lot, which for the main presenter doesn't always work for them. <laughs> which, which was a warning, and I'll say this for everyone's benefit, was a warning that you gave me before we started this talk was that you didn't want my video on because you thought I was going to distract you. Or you were going to distract me or just because you thought you were going to be fidgeting. I'm like, it's okay. Totally. Um, well, and I, I'm doing pretty good at sitting still because I do understand that uh, movement throws off the audio. Um, yeah, but I mean, I and I also, again, like I'm three and a half hours from a from a main airport. So it's not uh, it's not like, oh, I want to go to the university to learn some something. So I'll just go, it, you know, the, the nearest OT school is seven and a half hour drive for me. Uh, so again, how I can be creative without, um, and I tried, I tried to do a lot of face to face stuff and it just, I didn't have the budget for it and I didn't have the childcare. I didn't have the resources. Um, you know, I wish I had a private jet, but 
but that's not in my budget. Uh, so yeah, I do self-directed learning. I mean, I'll, I'll be a student for life. Like the reality is I will, um, if there was someone to pay me to go to school all the time, I would still be a student, but I, after nine years, couldn't afford it. Uh, so I figure out different ways. So yeah, I invest. And I mean, with that being said, I invest a significant amount of my, my revenue goes back into my learning. Um, and it, it always will much to my husband's dismay. Uh, just the, the reality of, of who I am and, and what fuels my fire. Um, my brain likes to be busy and I like to be, I'll, I'll always be learning. And that's, I think that's a good thing. Like my, I think all floaties should be like that. If you, yeah, if you're not learning, then especially nowadays where you know concepts and evidence and that sort of stuff is going out of date so quickly because we're finding new things or new ways to do it or new techniques, then if you're not learning, you're gonna very quickly be left behind. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So your other website, I'm assuming it's more geared towards the business side of things as opposed to the practice side um well with melissalapoint.com so it just highlights my the different ways you can work with me um so again i'm a community member or community builder uh the mindset coaching that i've been doing so i started down the path of women's health coaching and um from that went off on a tangent in terms of my mindset coaching with therapists. And then the work that I do as a leadership consultant, so working with other practice owners, therapists in terms of how they can build their team, uh, thinking like the boss, in terms of delegating, it is a different skill set. And it's something that I think a lot of us as sole practitioners really struggle with. Um, and even developing those platforms and that personal brand. I mean, many of us have have a story or have an experience and we want to to share and grow a business around that whether it's offering education sessions a podcast a blog um, there are so many ways that as entrepreneurs we can we can bring this information to our customers to our clients so that's what i do uh, so i work with yeah. So on my website, um, you know, you can take a masterclass, you can take an online course with me, you can sign up for a membership community. Uh, I also have my visionaries on fire where I do one on one consulting and coaching. Um, and then I do strategy sessions. So that's where, you know, essentially people are picking my brain and we, we really dive deep into their situation. So it's a specific obstacle or challenge. Um, yeah, so those are the different ways that that I work with people in addition to well, my business advisor is, um, I'm trying to put the brakes on different projects uh, that I, I could pick up a different project every day. Um, again, coming back to that ADD novelty <laughs> thing, I love to start things. I'm not the best at finishing them. Uh, but I have someone, you know, I, I pay someone well to keep me accountable. Uh, so I have her in my back pocket. Slap your hand away when you're trying to grab more things. Hand away. Uh, yeah, we have a couple of, we have a couple of systems in place where, um, I'm not allowed to sign up for things unless I have thought about it for 48 hours and can put together a short document showing the numbers that support what I'm doing and that the data. <laughs> like a little child. Yes. Uh, and this, is my, this <laughs> was all my doing. Like I had suggested this system and she just laughed and said, yes, this sounds good. She's like, I think you have a problem with impulse control. Like, no shit, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be the person that would be like needs to go and check that website out and work with you? Who who are you looking for? I'm assuming you're looking for either people that are looking to start private practice or maybe already in private practice or yeah, 
who who's who's your demographic? I would say OTs looking to start private practice, OTs that are currently in private practice and looking to take it to the next level. Uh, so I have a few OTs that are looking to break into that six figure that six figure mark that I'm supporting. Um, I have been working with a dentist recently, which is not my client avatar, um, but he recognized with his practice he wanted to target women in their 30s and 40s um, because the reality is if you're working in the health and wellness industry and going into um, like if you're trying to target your client through your marketing you need to have a better understanding of who they are and where they shop and what they do and for him his market was you know women in their 30s and 40s uh, so mm -hmm. he had contracted me out uh, to do some work with him in terms of marketing and doing a website audit and uh, some business strategy um I would say business owners, uh, even if they do not have an occupational therapist on board, but are interested in creating a position or is that feasible? Will that add to their team would be a possibility. Um, and then, I mean, just in terms of organizations. So again, um, you know, if there's a larger organization, uh, looking to add in women's health services, what that looks like, uh, where they can find the right person, um, like I'm a connector, I'm a networker. Um, you are. I love, you know, I love the moving parts. I love bringing some structure to the chaos. Uh, so when I have OTs come to me and be like, "Oh, this is going to be challenging," uh, I get excited. It's like, no, you can't. You know, you're not going to throw anything at me. That's. Um, it's really hard to catch me off guard. It's really hard. I'm, I'm a pretty grounded person. So I don't know if there's been a situation thrown at me yet that it's, that I'm like, Whoa, this is too much for me. I need to walk away. Um, if anything, it's like, all right, I'm ready to dive in. Are you, uh, so the consultancy stuff, is it specific to women's health or is it sort of private practice in the business side of things in general? Um, that you work with a private practice the business side of things in general in that I've supported some pediatric OTs again how can I add to my services what else can I offer to families um, there are some general practitioners that may be wanting to add in women's health or take their services to the next level and how they're um, in how they're providing those services uh, yeah. So again, it's just taking, you know, looking at their business, looking at their service delivery, looking at what they have to offer and, uh, you know, what are their business goals? Where do they want to go with this? Um, and I mean, like at some point I would love the opportunity to consult with a bigger organization where they, you know, again, it's like, okay, we, I mean, there are some therapists that it's like, like, I want to grow more in terms of online. I want to launch an online course. I want to work with a university as a consultant. So I'm supporting more consultants in that work, uh, which is really exciting because I'm certainly seeing the ripple effect grow. Okay. All right. I'm a jack of <laughs> You are. You are. Probably more than anyone I've ever met. There's a, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't come with a, with a manual, that's for sure. <laughs> There would be a long manual, that one. A little bit. I'm a little bit sad. I didn't come prepared for this interview because I, uh, so I wrote you a limerick for your birthday one year. Do you remember that? You did. I do <laughs> I remember that. I had it. I would read it. Just that would be a great way to close the interview. You emailed it I, to me, didn't you? Well, I actually hand wrote it and I sent you uh, the screenshot. I believe I took a picture and I sent it to you. I know, but 
I was just thinking, did you email it? Or? I emailed it. Um, I, I have it. I, every now and then I stumble across this written limerick and it makes me giggle. Because so, you found it not long ago because I remember you sent it to me I again. Have, I have many skill sets and one of them is writing limericks. <laughs> yep, I'm definitely going to post it. It's on a wobbly piece of paper too. You like cut it all out around the words. And then scanned it. I, when I, like, go bake or go home, right? So don't just write a crappy limerick for someone. It's going to be like a full-on. It's true. So limerick writing is definitely a skill. And when was this? June 21st, 2015, you wrote me a birthday limerick. And it is a whole page. And I won't read it now, but I'm going to post it when I post this podcast just to embarrass you. Oh, don't embarrass me. That's I should have put that on my website. That's another skill that I have. Um, I mean, for you, I did it for free. Anyone else, I'm going to charge them hourly. So, <laughs> Well, you, you, I'm sure you could make a fortune out of this. It's pretty much in you've covered a whole range of things that we talked about and that you found out about me, every, everything from where I grew up to why I chose OT to what else is in here neuroplasticity which is something that we connected over initially to rugby working in mental health the fact that i was 30 at the time (laughs) (laughs) so i'm definitely going to post that because yeah you just reminded me of it and i'm glad that i've still got it so one thing i would like to go over or at least have a, a think about before we finish up is I want to get from you what maybe your top, let's say top five tips might be for any either student or occupational therapist who might be considering going into private practice, either clinically or business-wise, maybe a bit of both. What would be your top five tips for them to think about before, well, if they're considering? This is not women's health in general. This is just private practice. Whatever you want, both. All right. Um, well, I'm going to go with private. Let's just say private practice. That's one of my my uh, big things is that women is is in everything. So, uh, five tips. All right. Tip number one: find your community. That's a big one. So online or in person or a bit of both or what works what? for you. Um, but find find your people. Find your you know. Entrepreneurs, I mean, we work different hours, we think differently, and I mean, you have no any, so many people are like, what, you're working on a Friday night? Oh my God, you have the craziest hours. It's like, well, I didn't work Monday morning or Wednesday morning, and like, I work in my pajamas in the morning and drink coffee on the deck. Um, And yeah, I love, like, I actually love working Friday nights. My husband's happy watching a movie and I do my thing. Um, so, yeah, that's where it's just helpful to connect with other entrepreneurs who get that um, because a lot of people don't get it and you can get tired explaining yourself all the time. So find your people, find your community, um, the highs, the lows, just having people that you can vent to or share that experience is huge. Is it is it anywhere you might suggest that might be a good starting point? Say, let's say online, that might be a good starting point for people. Uh, here, there's a really cool community called Strong Beginnings. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> wow, wonder where that came from. 
I mean, occupational therapy entrepreneurs, they have a Facebook group. Uh, like there's so many Facebook groups. Um, I really think, yeah, just do a Google search and you'll find something and then find your people, like even within that group, uh, leading me to my second tip. Don't like, how do I nicely say this? I see a lot of OTs asking other OTs for business advice. And it's kind of like all the new moms asking other new moms for mom advice. You get that connection, but you don't necessarily, it's like, oh yeah, I use this and it worked exactly for my practice. Therefore, that's the exact marketing plan you should use for your practice. And it makes me want to bang my head against the wall. Um, like if you want business advice, go to someone who has the experience or, you know, who's, yeah, <laughs> I see a lot of people getting really bad advice from other therapists because they're therapists. They're not marketing experts. Uh, so I think just be clear on, you know, reaching out and, and getting advice. But, uh, I think ATs are really bad for that in a lot of ways in that we're not very good at reaching outside of the profession for anything, whether it's whether it's research or evidence or, or business advice. We tend to have this innate need to try and get everything from inside the profession when there's a lot, lot of people that are in a lot of other professions that are better suited to give the advice or uh, help us out in whatever it is than OTs are. So I, I again, I, I can reiterate that, and I don't think OTs should be so afraid to reach outside the profession for information and advice. Um, so that would be my second one. I think getting um, some type of business coaching, consulting, or advising. Uh, we didn't learn this in therapy school. It took me a really long time to reach out um, because I you know, almost felt like that shame of, oh my gosh, things are such a mess right now that I don't even want to show anyone to reach out. I wish I would have done so sooner in terms of working with a business coach or a business advisor, a business consultant. Um, because it's, you know, it's investing in, I guess it's an investment, but the, I mean, in comparative, uh, the level that you're investing, but it, it like it, it, it just is building a better business. You know, it's building your the back end of your business. It's having more structure. Uh, so reaching out and getting some type of accountability and some type of business direction, uh, I think is really helpful. And again, find the right person because I know some people, there's lots of people out there that have had bad experiences. And it's like anything else, you, you know, just because they're a business coach doesn't mean they're the right fit for you. So find the right person for you. Um, and that's where, yeah, then ask your OT friends, you know, did someone work with someone before and did they have a good experience? Um, I think that's a great, a great way to ask. Uh, so that would be number three. Number four, uh, niche in, you know, figure out your niche or your niche, however you want to say it. Um, I see across the board, people are chasing every opportunity. They're saying yes to everything and they are trying to be everyone's healer. It's a, one of the best ways that you're going to run your business into the ground. No one's going to know what you're saying. You know, you're trying to talk to everyone. Therefore, you're not talking to anyone. You're not connecting with anyone. Uh, people are so hesitant to focus in on a niche and it's biting them in the ass. So I think focus, pick a niche, uh, become the expert, become the go-to person in one area and then scale out. I was going to say, do you think it's better off like once you have picked your niche and built 
you're around that area, then you can branch out? If you want to. I mean, or you can branch out in a different way. Um, if now you're the go-to in that specific area, then maybe you're in a better position. Okay, now I want to start consulting and mentoring with other professionals on this area. Um, or now I'm going to scale out in a different way and target more clients. Uh, so there are, no, I mean, again, age of you know, we're in this digital age of opportunities. So I think there are a lot of different spins you can put on that, but you've got to start somewhere. And there's a lot of fear around, um, yeah, a lot of fear around, around being specific or, or being clear and cutting out income and you're not cutting out income. And I'm not even saying turn away the other people. You're just not investing your marketing dollars into advertising to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that would be, is that number four? That's not all uh, and then number five, um, the last one, which we didn't we didn't end up talking a lot about minimalism, but I think the uh, simplify, 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 simplify in your business, simplify in your life. Um, there's so much crap in the world. We don't need more of it. Um, but you can, I mean, you get caught up in shiny object syndrome and thinking you need it. And it's business and life. Uh, we often don't. And I think we can simplify so much. Uh, so just, you know take those rose colored glasses off and, and you don't, you don't need it. Um, you know, I, I do, I, does it make my life better? Do I love it? Uh, is it something I use every day? And if it doesn't meet those criteria, then I have a pretty hard time keeping it in my life. We did, we missed the minimalism thing, but I will have, the, the podcast prior to this one will have been just a brief description around uh, my experience with minimalism and some links that I found with occupational therapy. But I think maybe if you're up for it, we might be able to have another chat at some point and have a, have a look further look into this minimalism concept, which is something that's fairly new to me, but I believe you've been on that train for quite some time now. Yeah, I'll jump on a call at any time. Yeah, it's been nine years um, that I've been actively trying to, you know, and it, it is active in that you don't just say, oh, I'm a minimalist. And then, you know, it's it's an active practice uh, and two steps forward, one step back. But no, I've been a practicing minimalist for nine years now. And I say that it could be longer than that. Um and it's served me well in many ways. It's presented with a lot of challenges in many ways. It's not easy, uh, but I don't, I don't do it because it's easy. Um, I do it because it brings other things to my life. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly the, the reason that I guess it caught my eye in the first place. And, and a lot of the links that I see around it, as I discussed in the, in the previous podcast, are the fact that you can then focus on the more meaningful Things are things that really do bring joy into into your life. Uh, I guess those those more meaningful occupations. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, we'll definitely have to have another chat and yeah. go delve into that world a bit deeper. Funny stories and helpful tips. So, I'll I'll start prepping for my top five tips for minimalism. <laughs> definitely sounds like a plan. Well, thank you very much. It's always amazing to, to have a chat with you. Where can people find you online, get in contact with you, uh, that kind so of thing? So melissalapoint.com, uh, there's a contact page, and it's info at melissalapoint.com is my email. Um, I mean, you can find me on Facebook if you just search Melissa LaPointe. Uh, my Facebook profile is there. That works too, though I don't have Facebook Messenger on my phone intentionally, and I would rather people not 
if you send me a Facebook messenger, that's a message. That's fine. But I'll just redirect you to email because I can better manage my email inbox than my Facebook inbox. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, but really just go to melissalapoint.com or send me an email. Um, I prefer email is the best one. I can track it. And the other thing that I'll throw out there is if you are interested in women's health or just want to have a brief look into it, there is a Facebook group for, is it women's health for OT or women? So if you do a Google, if you do a Facebook search, it was originally set up as OTs in women's health and that is still the URL. But then I, you wooed me into the for OT group. Uh, so I coerced, coerced you into the club. <laughs> we transitioned it over to OTs, uh, women's health for OT, like number four. So we're part of the four OT umbrella, um, in Facebook. Uh, but you can do, I know sometimes it doesn't pop up in people's searches because it was set up as OTs and women's health. So yeah, if you are interested and you're on Facebook, like the whole world seems to be, uh, jump along, jump into that group, drop any questions you've got regarding OT practice in women's health have a look at the discussions, the resources, whatever else is in there. Other than that, thank you very much, Melissa, and I will talk to you very soon. All right, post the limerick. I will. I'll, <laughs> I'll post the limerick. <laughs> what was it? Five, three years ago. Three years oh, ago. We'll see if – I need an updated version. I know. I need to. See if, see if anything's changed. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> thank you for the chat, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to our follow-up on minimalism. I'm pumped. Sounds like a plan. I'm keen. <laughs> Great. Right. Bye-bye.